The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, working this week and every week to be your public radio source for the inspiration, information, and motivation you need to build or start your own real estate investing business. Sometimes here on Real Life Real Estate, we talk about sort of basic skill stuff that everybody everybody needs to know about, you know, asset protection and finding deals and how to finance them and things like that. And sometimes we introduce you to topics that are a little bit more outside of the of the mainstream in terms of how many folks actually know about them? How many do them? How much competition is there? And today, as you might guess, is a day for the latter because today we are going to talk about residential assisted living. In other words, how does one go about um, housing seniors in a situation where maybe they don't need a sort of a full-blown nursing home kind of situation, but they're not, they're past the point where they want to live by themselves in their own properties uh, as well. My guest today is Jean Guarino, who is the president of the Residential Assisted Living Academy. He's been training investors and entrepreneurs for the past 25 years, but his specialty these days is in helping other people take advantage of what is clearly a mega trend that is going to just get bigger and bigger and bigger as time passes, given that something like 50,000 people a day are turning 65 these days. Uh, joining us from his home in Phoenix is Gene. Gene, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you, Vina. Great to be here. And I am glad to have you because you have one of those topics that is kind of it's kind of in the air in the sense that a lot of people sit around and wonder about it, right? A lot of people will say to me, mm-hmm. well, what if, you know, I keep hearing that um, the, the baby boomers aging, there are some opportunities out there. And what do you think? And, and I kind of shrug my shoulders, <laughs> say, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where those people are going to go, but you have um, sort of, sort of keyed in on a, a, a particular niche within that market. And that is, Uh, The idea of assisted living, which is maybe not what people think. 
when they when they hear assisted living. So let, let's let's start with what what is it that you are teaching people to provide? Sure. Well, assisted living is turning a single family home into residential assisted living. That's exactly what I do. So it's not the Golden Girls, which is four mature women living together, taking care of each other. And it's not a nursing home, which is a big institution where there's doctors and nurses. It's something in between. So there's 24-hour care in a residential setting, and it's a group home for seniors. So there might be 8, 10, 12 seniors in that home, and there's a caregiver or two taking care of them all day and all night. So that's what it looks like and feels like. And the the reality, Avina, is that 10,000 people a day are turning 65, but more importantly, 4,000 a day are turning 85. Hmm. That's 120,000 new 85-year-olds every month, and they need to go somewhere. They're, they're not all staying at home. They don't like to, but they need help. Somebody needs to take care of them. You and I can't just quit what we're doing and stay home and take care of mom and dad, and we're not necessarily designed to do that. So assisted living is the step. Not nursing home, though, because that's medical and much more expensive. But assisted living is still not inexpensive, and it's a great way to help people and make great money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what you're talking about is not folks going up, uh, going out and opening full-blown nursing homes. You're talking about sort of the people who already have single families or are or, or thinking of acquiring single families as investment properties providing niche housing to a certain population that has certain needs and along with the housing providing for the needs. Yes, and it's the way to think about it is that uh, it's like a fine food restaurant. In the restaurant, somebody owns the dirt, somebody owns the building, somebody operates the business. So you can decide which part you want to play. Do you want to just own the real estate and lease it to the operator? Do you want to be the operator? Or do you want to own the real estate and the operator? And it really just depends on which part you want to play and how involved you want to be. The When I share with people about making money in, in assisted living, if you just want to own the real estate and lease it to the operator of the business, you can charge twice the fair market rent. So if the fair market rent's 2000 a month, you could charge 4000 The reason why the operator, myself in this case, would want to operate the business in that home is because I can net 10000 15000 20000 a month in profit even after paying twice the fair market rent. So you can be a real estate investor and make tremendous cash flow, or if you want to own and operate that business. And please don't misunderstand. I don't mean be there every day. I haven't been to some of my homes for a month. So there's a manager, there's caregivers, it's not me. I own the business, I own the real estate, I, I'm the business manager, but others are doing the day-to-day. If you do that, you could own the real estate and get that benefit, but also own and operate that business and get a massive benefit from the cash flow there. Mm-hmm. How much benefit from the cash flow? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I, go, when I go through numbers in a full presentation and you can see it clearly, it's really impressive because... The gross, here's the number, $3,600 a month is what the average individual is paying for an average home once a month for assisted living. So $3,600 a month. If you have 10 people in your home, that's $36,000 gross income potential each month. If all of your expenses are $20,000 a month to pay for caregivers and so on, and another $5,000 a month for the home, which is a really nice home, you're netting $10,000 a month. And that's somebody else doing the day-to-day. You might spend five hours a week, ten hours a week overseeing the business part. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Now, there's there's so many questions that I have, <laughs> and, and I'm and I'm sure <clears throat> listeners have uh, about this strategy. And I want to give listeners the opportunity to contact us uh, by phone. During this hour, of course, if you're listening to the podcast, don't call the number, okay? Because the show's over. If you're if you're <laughs> listening, if you're listening on Wednesday between five and six p.m. Eastern time, you can call us at eight seven 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 two nine six five eight. You can also go to our website, which is realliferealestate.com. There's a there's a button there that you can go to a tab, and it allows you to put in a question that you can send via email. So that's realliferealestate.com or 877-772-9658. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Jean Guarino, who, like a lot of our guests over the past uh, six or eight weeks, is one of the featured speakers at the 2016 OREA National Real Estate Summit, as you can tell from Listening to the shows recently, we have a wide range of real experts who are out there doing this stuff, and it's all very relevant to the market today because, you know, who cares what was going on last year or the year before? The question is, how can you set yourself up to prosper now and over the course of the next 18 months or so? And certainly this is a a definite long-term trend that seniors are going to need housing and not necessarily be ready for the whole full-blown nursing home experience, but still not, you know, wanting to or able to uh, live all by themselves. And our show today and Jean's talk at the National Summit is about uh, how you can be one of those providers. So more information about the OREA National Real Estate Summit is coming up next week here on Real Life Real Estate, I'm going to get an opportunity to sign up at a special listener rate. And I hope you have already blocked it out on your calendar, November 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th. Because you can't be serious about real estate and not be going to this. I mean, seriously, like it's the biggest event in the country. So, um, Gene, let's um, let's uh, get, get some, some things clear in people's minds here as they're trying to picture what it is you're talking about. This is These are not like low-income houses in low-income areas, right? It's, I don't want you to do it that way. You will find some there, but please don't do that. <laughs> okay, so... so let, me, let, me give you, let me give you a picture of what it is. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of things out there. There's low-end homes in bad areas of town that are packing people into the home, and they're charging lots of money, and they're making a nice... I don't want to encourage you to do that. I want you to do it more in an upscale manner, so... Uh, if there are five levels and level one is the bottom and level five is the top level three and four is really the sweet spot so that's it's a nicer home it's above average it's maybe 300 square feet per resident so if there's 10 residents might be a 3,000 square foot home uh, that's a nicer home nice space and I can provide a, a really good environment for mom or dad to be living in mm-hmm mm-hmm so these are these are probably more expensive houses than the typical landlord thinks about when they say, well, I'm going to go buy a house for cash flow. More than likely, because especially, you know, right there in Ohio, if there's a house that's 80000 or $100,000 and they can rent it out for six $800 a month, it's going to cash flow decently as a single family home, but it might be 1,500 square feet. 
So if we can double that, make it a 3,000-square-foot home in a much nicer area, you might not be able to cash flow it for a rental property as a single-family home. But if I could make 10000 a month in profit as a residential-assisted living, well, then it's a really sweet deal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And tell me about if I were to visit one of your homes that you that you have done this way, when I walk in, what am I going to see? Is it furnished? Is it, uh, you know, who who provides the towels? Who provides the dishes? Who provides the couches? Who provides the cable TV? What what, what am I what am I looking at here? You got it. The owner of the business will provide all of that. So the resident themselves, they just literally move in. There's probably a furnished bedroom there for them. All of the furniture is there family room, dining room, kitchen, everything is completely furnished. All laundry is taken care of. The food is prepared for them. They may bring a few things into their bedroom. They might bring a dresser or some pictures for the wall, but it's all provided for them. So when you walk in the front door, it's a nice home. It's probably not not designed for Ikea or college age, right? Mm -hmm. It's the season. It's going to look more like an older person would want their home to look. So you know, not antiques, but something that looks more Queen Anne or something nice and older. Uh, and it doesn't need to be old furniture, could be brand new, but it's substantial. It looks good. When you walk into our homes, the front room is the showpiece. You walk in, it's like, wow, this feels great. It looks great. You walk into the family room, there'll probably be a 70-inch TV on the wall so they can watch TV nicely. They're, the kitchen and dining area are nice and wide and open, but it's a either a round table or a, a rectangle table where it's a dining area. There might be a few extra sitting areas, but it's a home for seniors, a group home for seniors. In the home, you might have 8, 10, 12 seniors there. Maybe the average age is 80 years old or 85 years old, and some are uh, have walkers, and you may have a wheelchair or two, but uh, the people themselves are there living in the home, and then the caregivers are there amongst them taking care of them on a, on a moment-by-moment basis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what does a day in the life of a resident there look like? Uh, they just kind of do their thing. Is there, you know, because uh, um, you know, I've been to, I've been to, like the large corporate <laughs> assisted living type nursing home type places, and you know, they have they have activities and things like that. But that I suspect are, I suspect this is more of a of a of a kind of independent living situation. Yeah, I think one thing that is very different about the residential assisted living versus the institutional or big box, as I call it, is that it's a home, so it's you're on your own schedule. Having said that, the day in the life, everybody's probably getting up around the same time, earlier than you and I might, but they're getting up, they're getting ready for breakfast, they'll probably come together for that breakfast. Uh, they can eat at a different time, and depending on how the food is prepared. Uh, we have some homes where there's literally a chef that does cook to order breakfast and lunch and prepares dinner in between that's served later in the day. Uh, or the caregivers have provided breakfast. They've prepared it and provided it for everybody. After breakfast, uh, people get cleaned up and either uh, hang out, if you will, as a group there in the family room or dining area, play games or talk or communicate, or they'll go back to their room and they're free to do whatever they'd like. And we have activities set up for them that they can participate in, but they don't have to. Uh, family members come and visit, take them out to lunch, uh, or just stay there and visit with them. Uh, lunch then happens, and then the afternoon is kind of a quiet time, and then we're back to dinner. So the routine of that, and when it, really when it comes to seniors, the things that they look forward to are meals, right, and that time together, 
so between that and making sure that all of their needs are being met and there's some activities available to them, that's kind of the day in the life of uh, the residents there at a senior home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It sounds nice. Oh, it is nice. I got to tell you, Vina, when you walk into the, to my homes anyway, you're going to say, "I could see living here." And it, it was after our, our, you know, one of our homes that we had just done, just furnished, getting ready to move people in. And my wife and I both looked at each other and we said, "We could move in here." And that's when it struck us that someday it, we will need to move in. And we realized, you know what? This is a great retirement plan because most people are simply not prepared for spending five or ten thousand a month on their long-term care. They didn't buy the insurance. They're not prepared for it financially. But if you own this home, you're profiting massively now. And later on, when it's time, you literally can move into the master bedroom and live for free. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. I have to tell you, when we first started talking six months ago about you coming to the uh, OREA National Summit, the thing that struck me harder than anything else about this strategy is that it could allow me to buy properties much nicer than what I would normally be able to own based on the current cash flow. And that the timeline for me is such that by the time I was ready to perhaps move into one of these homes, it would be paid off. And mm-hmm. the the idea of, you know, here here in the Cincinnati market, I think the house you're describing is probably a two hundred and fifty to four hundred thousand dollar house in a you know, mm-hmm. nice quiet area, um, you know, something something that uh, uh, I would have no fear of my grandmother, you know, right. living in that in living in that neighborhood. And I would love to own two or three of those free and clear when mm-hmm. I when I retired because I mean the, the possibilities there are endless. Right now I can I can keep running them out of senior housing. I can sell them and put the cash in some nice bonds or something. I could, you know, and I just, I, I, I have never been able to justify as, as a landlord buying a house like that. Cause that, that house is only going to rent for, I don't know, 2000, maybe 3000 a month. And that won't even cover the PITI payment unless I do it your way. <laughs> which, yeah. which is, which again, you know, whenever, whenever you're able to provide services to a niche of people who need it and can afford it, it's always more profitable. Yeah, and and you know that's a whole theme right there, Vina, that you know is the idea of catering to those that have money and seniors. Uh, 65 and above represents 77 percent of the the net worth in our country today. So they have more money. They have homes that are free and clear. They've got actual retirement accounts that a company's paying them for. <clears throat> they've got IRAs. They've got investments. They've got the money to pay for their care. And in addition to that, they've got four, five, six kids who will now chip in and help pay to take care of mom and dad because they're not going to do it themselves. So catering to them and whether that be cruise ships or vacation rentals or a bed and breakfast or in this case assisted living is a great way to be taking advantage of the opportunity the silver tsunami that's here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very true um, i want to give listeners again the opportunity to give us a call I'm, I'm thinking that a lot of them are just sitting there stunned right now going is this for <laughs> real and you know how do you know if it's for real you learn about it and you go out and try it and it works for you. That's how you know it's for real. 877-772-9658 is the number to call here in the studio. Uh, you can also send us an email. And the way you go about doing that is you go to our website, which is realliferealestate.com. You 
uh, simply go to the thing that says uh, ask a question and click on that button and ask a question and it will come here uh, via email. Now, um, Gene, we don't want to gloss over the fact that this, this anytime you're doing any, any sort of group housing, there are going to be things that you need to be aware of that are very different than just, you know, a family moving into your rental. So a, a couple of things that sort of came to my mind, um, and, and we'll get to, we'll get to the, the big one about rules and regulations uh, after we take our next break, but um, how does one finance these properties? Are, are, they, are they regular Fannie Mae investment loans, or is there some special kind of financing that you have to get? How does, how does that work? Great question. And it, because it's a residential property, it's the same Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or other type of bank loan that you would get for a residential property. So it's a residential property. And if it's going to be, if it currently is a residential property and it's not converted already into the assisted living home, so it's just like your home or my home, easy peasy. You just go to the bank, you apply, hopefully you get accepted, and you finance it that way. You can then change it, retrofit it, do what you want to it, and move in, uh, then start operating this business out of it. Now, the paperwork that you're signing at the bank does say, is it owner-occupied, is it not owner-occupied? Chances are you're not going to be own, uh, occupying it. So it's, a, it's an investor loan. You're going to be leasing it out. You're leasing it to an entity that you create that operates this business. So that way it truly is just what you said. It's a non-owner-occupied rental property. That tenant is now using this for the assisted living. So the financing from a bank perspective is the same as it would be for any rental property. I love private financing, though. There's millions and billions of dollars in cash sitting out there, and it's looking for a home. It's sitting in the bank earning nothing, and a CD earning 1%, 2%, 3% in the stock market scared out of its wits. But if they could get 4 or 5%, maybe 6 or 8% lending it to you on these homes, there's so much money out there available. And this is the easiest thing I've ever raised capital for. Mm-hmm. You know, Vina, I've raised lots of money for myself and other projects. And when I talk to people about assisted living and baby boomers and senior housing, everybody's eyes open wide. And they, how can I get in? How can I be a part of this? So bank financing is fine, but private financing is wonderful mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And just, just for the information of listeners who might have just heard you say private financing, but I don't know what that is. There's another speaker who's going to be at the OREA conference named Rod Yarger, who's actually talking about how to crowdfund deals, how to legally set up funds and things where you can bring even a bunch of people's money together and uh, finance things like this. So the next thing that I thought of was insurance, because I'm not quite sure how to tell my insurance agent what it is I'm insuring here. Is it a business? Is it a property? Is there some... Are there providers that provide insurance just for this sort of business exactly and the key point to what you said is i'm not sure what to tell him the key is to tell him don't or her don't hide it don't say anything other than exactly what it is it's a non-owner occupied property that i'm doing an assisted living facility in tell me what i need to do there is insurance that you should get you're actually not required to get but i'm going to highly encourage and recommend that you do that would be professional liability insurance specifically for assisted living and the cost of that is i'm going to give you the cost is a lot less than people think it's not you know uh 
It's not a, a, a medical malpractice policy. This is not doctors and nurses and gurneys. It's a home. So that insurance, professional liability insurance for assisted living, the cost of it is less than a dollar a day per resident. So if you've got 10 residents in 30 days in the month, that's $300 a month for that professional liability insurance policy. Uh, it's a line item in the business. It's all wrapped into the expense. It's We buy food, we have cable TV, we have liability insurance. So it's not that expensive, and you definitely should do it. It's really one of those things that I think a lot of people put uh, focus on, and they say, well, here's the problem. Well, no, it's not. You know what the issue is. You know there's insurance for it. The problem is if you don't get the insurance. So do get the insurance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, when we come back, we're going to take some questions from listeners that have come in via our website at realliferealestate.com. If you have a question, give us a call at 877-772-9658 or go ahead and go to realliferealestate.com. Send it that way. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My guest today is Jean Guarino, who is uh, an expert, in fact, the only expert I know on who at least who's willing to talk about it in front of other people on residential list, uh, assisted living. Um, there's some industries, Jean, where there's a lot of people making a lot of money on it, but nobody mm-hmm. will talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like self-storage is one of those. There aren't too many... There aren't too many folks out there who will get up on stage and say, well, here's how you do self-storage and compete with me. Um, and and this is another one. And uh, I, I assume it's it's a matter of, you know, I'm, I'm making so much money doing my assisted living stuff that I don't want to come to Cincinnati and talk about. It. I don't know. I I think you're right. I, I do really do think that because there are people out there doing it, but they're not going to tell you. They're not going to share the, these secrets. And I love to teach and I do love to share. So it's kind of, I invite people to my own backyard here in Arizona and I'll teach them and show them how to open a house right next door to mine. So it's <laughs> there's plenty of business for everybody. What I love about this is there's new inventory, people coming online every day that need a place to stay and we can all get involved. At some point, there'll be some saturation, but for the next five or ten years, let's just run with it and have fun with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, let's uh, let's go to some questions that have come in through the realliferealestate.com website. Um, you answered, this one is from Adam, and it came in very early in the show, and you've, you've answered some of this, but um, I'm just going to read the whole thing and you sure. can rattle it off. Uh, he says, what is the ideal house? Are there certain neighborhood types, price ranges, bedrooms and bathrooms, square footages, etc.? Yes. Uh, single level would be better than multi-level, but multi-level, two and three story are fine. Uh, larger is better than smaller, so three to 500 square feet per person of living space is a rule of thumb. More bathrooms is better, so two bathrooms minimum, more is better. And that's because I can charge more for a private bathroom than a shared bath. Uh, the location is really the critical part where it, where it's located. I want it to be right smack dab in the middle of the people that have the money, that are have moms and dads at this age that will be living in the homes. I don't want to be on the outskirts of town. So upper middle income, uh, right in the middle of the population, e- easy to find within that neighborhood because it's in a residential setting. We can't have a big you know neon sign in the front yard. So it's got to be easy. You come in the front gate, it's the first house on the right, uh, something like that. 
the home itself, when you walk in, just be thinking seniors. You know, is it easy to get in the front door? Circular driveways are great. You walk inside the front door, is there a step up or a sunken living room down? Those things could be a problem. So you can put in ramps even inside the house, but, you know, you're getting a feel for it. Are the hallways wide or are they narrow? Are there are the doorways narrow or are they wide? Are there... Uh, what kind of flooring is there? And I could go through piece after piece, but we can change a lot of those things. But location is really the key, right? And the best demographics is what I'm looking for. A mm-hmm. uh, question from Mark in New York City. He says, are there any special permits or licensing required? Well, if you're in New York City, you need a license to blow your nose. So <laughs> Do they still let it's you do a, that, or you know, is it like one Kleenex actually, per person up there, or what? You're you're right. You can only blow your nose on every other Tuesday with a permit. So it's <laughs> uh, it's uh, I'm half joking, but truly, New York and California are probably the hardest business uh, states. Period across the country. So when you talk New York City, and I've got family downstate. I'm I'm from upstate New York originally. Uh, yeah, there's lots of rules and regulations there. So you need to know what the paperwork is, what the what the requirements are. And here's part of it, Vina, is that we're just talking casually right now. And I, I really want people who are listening to ask questions, but learn as much as you can before you decide you're going to jump into this. Because if you don't know what you're doing, you can shoot yourself in the food foot seven ways from Sunday. I want you to know what you're doing, know what you're getting into, and know how it works. So one of the very first things that I said is location. So if you're saying it's Manhattan, okay, great location, lots of money, lots of people. But there's some problems in Manhattan, transportation, buildings. It's You don't have a single-family home. It's sky rises and apartments. So it's a whole different animal there than it would be in, let's go upstate. We go to Peekskill, New York. If you know upstate New York, that's where I was born. So it's it's more country, more suburbs, but you're an hour and a half, two hours outside of the city, so depending on traffic. So it's a whole different world. It really just depends on that location. And then the municipality there, the state may allow something, but then the local area, what do they allow? And which ones are friendly versus not friendly? Which ones have rules set up that I can just follow the rules, fill in the paperwork, follow the rules, and which ones are just kind of figuring it out. We have a student who just opened up the first home in Rhode Island, and it's the first home in all of Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. So there was no, here's the paperwork, here's the process. It was everything was a new discovery, and let's try it this way, let's do it this way. Uh, that's how where we're at in this industry, and that's part of the opportunity, that as people are listening, and you mentioned this earlier before the last break, was the concept of timing and being at the right place at the right time. And when it comes to senior housing, the population is aging. Everything is moving with this baby boomer generation that I'm a part of, that many of our listeners are a part of. And you got to get on board somehow, some way. So it was diapers way back when. Today, it's senior housing, right? Mm -hmm. We're at that point where now we're 60, 70 years later, and senior housing is the place to be. If you're going to open a hospital, fine. If you're going to open a nursing home, fine. But not many people have $100 million to start. Take a single-family home, turn it into a residential-assisted living. Oh, everybody can do that. So knowing what to do and where to do it is part of it, and you want to know what the rules are. And if you're in an area where it's difficult, go to the town next door. You don't have to do it in Manhattan. If you can do it a lot easier in, pick the next town over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. Jeff from Columbus wants to know if there are any issues with occupancy limits 
what is the maximum number of uh, it says maximum number number of occupancy until it falls into the category of being commercial are you going to get harassment from the neighborhood from <laughs> moving 10 people into a single family home gotcha because of the fair housing act which is a federal uh, regulation from way back uh, you can do this in literally any home even with an hoa so there's my blanket statement to start Having said that, some municipalities have rules, like you can only have four unrelated adults in a single-family home. Why? Because they're right near the university, and they don't want the animal house with John Belushi next door. (laughs) But when it comes to assisted living, you can't tell grandma she can't live there. When it comes to how many people are in a home, literally you cannot say you can only have X number of people living in a home. You could challenge that in court, but I'm not going to push that. Why bother? In the state, and let me just go with uh, Ohio, if I'm not mistaken, and I'll I'll have the number exact when I'm doing the presentation there, there's a large number, maybe 14, that you can have in a single-family home for residential assisted living. I'll get that number. We'll have it down pat. But just because I can have 14 doesn't mean that the city wants me to have 14. So the house has to be appropriate. Is the house a a 2,000-square-foot house or a 6,000-square-foot house? That plays into it. Maybe there's a sprinkler system that's required if you're going to have that number of people. Neighbors, you know, you mentioned the neighbors. I always laugh when I hear that because, in general, people don't want anything that's not themselves in their own backyard, NIMBY. Right? It's, if it's not me, I don't want it. Now that I'm here, everything else stays out. But the reality is we're the best neighbors in town. We take, we take care of our house. We've got quiet residents. Everybody's in bed by 7.15. There's no loud parties. It's a beautiful thing, but people don't get that. You say group home, senior home, they're thinking, oh, my goodness, group home. It's going to be you know, drug addicts and prison people and this, that, and the other. No, it's seniors. Oh, well, I don't want the old people running down the street in their underwear at midnight. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where where are you coming from? What movies are you watching? You know, these people are in bed. They're not crazy people. This is your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa. So what we do is actually do an open house. We invite the neighbors in so they can see exactly what it is. And invariably what happens, Vina, is they come in and they go, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. I had a picture in my mind of and fill in the blank, a big institution, people slumped over in a wheelchair, drugged out in a hallway. No, this is a home for seniors. We want them to be active. We want them to live forever. You know, nobody does, but that's the reality. It's mm-hmm. you can do it. Mm-hmm. Do the do, does uh, creating a residential assisted living home where what you currently have is a single family home typically require a zoning change? It depends on the state. It may go from R2 to R3, and it's probably not going to go to multifamily because that requires more kitchens. You only need one kitchen. But the idea of a group home, there probably is some kind of designation within your city or your municipality. So, for instance, where I am here, in order to do this, you literally go to the building department in the zoning department, and you fill in one piece of paper saying, I'm going to do this group home. In this at this address and one thing they check is are there any other group homes within 1320 feet that's a quarter mile within a quarter mile of this one and if there isn't they're like no problem fill in the paperwork give me fifty dollars you can do it in other areas like we're helping some students in Omaha Nebraska you have to go in and say this is what I'm looking to do and now you have to request uh, what's called a special use permit 
So now you go in front of the board to say, here's what we're going to do. It's a special use. It's a group home for the elderly and so on. And depending on your presentation and so on and so forth, they say, got it, makes sense to me, done. So there may be a special use permit. It might be simply fill in the paperwork. It could be a, we need to change it from uh, R2 to R3, which in order to do that, we need to send a letter to the uh, people within a mile of you or a quarter mile of you and, and invite them to a meeting to give their two cents but the bottom line, too, and again, I, I'm sensing this from those last two questions. If somebody is saying, I don't want this in my backyard, well, if the law says you can do it and they really can't fight it, then yeah, okay. So they don't want it, but we're still going to do it. Once it's up and running, they're pretty happy that it's there. But those are all great questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we will take some more after we take a quick break. If you have questions about maybe getting started with your own residential assisted living facility, high profit, high demand, you know, and yes, like, like all other strategies uh, in real estate and business stuff, you got to know, <laughs> give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send us an email by going to our website at realliferealestate.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Jean Guarino from Residential Assisted Living... Uh, Academy. Academy, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was looking at these questions and I just... I love it. Lost that last part of that sentence. And <laughs> um, yes, uh, he's going to be one of the 15 speakers at the OREA National Real Estate Strategies Conference. And you can start to see why this is the biggest event in the country. Um, we, are on, we are up over 350 registrants for that already, and it's still six weeks away. Ooh. So it'll be, we'll be at 750 or 800, which is capacity. I mean, there's just only, there's only so many chairs that the Great Wolf Lodge has. Uh, so you definitely want to get that on your calendar. And next week we will be making a special offer to real life real estate listeners uh, that gets you the entire package for the whole four days at a um, discounted price and also supports public radio. So it's like the ultimate win-win. So Gene, the, um, the next piece here is about, uh, city involvement. Uh, we have, we have a couple of related questions, one from, t- uh, Tim, who's in the San Antonio area and one from Nancy in the Cincinnati area. Uh, that are basically along the same lines, which is uh, how deeply is the city going to get involved in your property? Are they going to do inspections before you open? Are they going to do regular inspections? Is there is there any other governing body out there that is going to need to be, be in there seeing and approving of things? Or is it once you get going, or are you just kind of going? Got it. Two different states, uh, Texas and Ohio. So let's, let's just uh, answer generically that Yes, there are going to be inspections. They're going to inspect the house to make sure that it's safe, and they're going to make sure that you have policies and procedures in place uh, and that you have a proper staff. So when I say all of those different things, again, I'm really glad people are asking these questions, and I'm also really glad because it's showing that you understand this isn't just buy a house, fill a house, move away. 
this is a you're starting a business that is a significant cash flow business that uh, you're going to have to do some things so the house itself has to be inspected and basic things to make sure that it's safe and sound for seniors so that's the issues there the business itself has to have a manager and it probably is not going to be you it's not me i hire a manager they have their own uh, qualifications and certifications so as a manager they need that by the way in texas you can attend a 24-hour course and you're now a manager in the state of texas you want to be a caregiver fog a mirror you're a caregiver and i'm not saying that facetiously those are the rules in Arizona, if you want to be a caregiver, it's 104 hours of training, background test, TB test, fingerprint card. You jump through a ton of hoops. You want to be a manager, two years of experience, plus being a caregiver, plus 40 hours as a manager, uh, their training and course and so on. Ohio is going to be somewhere in between. So I just gave you soup to nuts and somewhere in between. But, yes, it is going to be inspected. They're going to inspect they should once a year. Texas will probably get to it every two years, but once a year they're going to come through, make sure that you're still doing well, and if they know who the, the suspect players are. So if you're doing a great job and your home looks good and it's clean and records are proper, you're good. And if you're a troublemaker and you're not doing a good operation and you're not treating people nicely, they're going to be checking you out closely every year, and you're still going to be okay, but um, do a good job. That's mm-hmm. what we'll teach you how to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. Any any kinds of rules and regulations that I haven't thought to ask you about? Well, you know, there's we could go into all kinds of things, but I think that the keys, you, you brought up a lot of great points. Location, the idea of zoning and building, the idea of, you know, licensing. So all of those things are the nitty-gritty of getting up and running. From an operational standpoint, the key is really... And I'm Italian, so I'm using my hands here. I don't know if anybody can see it, but um, <laughs> I've got this pyramid in front of me, this triangle, and you're at the top. You're the owner. You, you're the business manager. Underneath that, you've got a facility manager. That's the person who's there day to day. Underneath him or her, there's the caregivers who are the ones who are with the residents on a day to day basis. So there's this hierarchy of management. As long as you stay on the top, you're good, and you need to have the right people underneath you. And if this is done really well, you could leave on a cruise for two weeks and come back and things are better than when you left. Uh, And I've had that exact experience where I literally left, no communication, come back, and it's better than when I left. It's like I should just jump right back on the ship and sail off again. Uh, So. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, this is not something that that people learn how to do in an hour-long radio show. That's just that, yeah. that's just not that's just not the way it is. But what we can really do here on on real life real estate is is give people sort of an introduction to the pros and cons of uh, different sorts of things that they can do, and introduce them to the people who can teach them more about it. Um, the um, the other question that has come up here from a listener who, according to the email, their name is Hader, H-A-D-E-R. I haven't seen that name before, but that's interesting. Uh, he says that he is curious how how fair housing applies. Apparently, you yeah, you had mentioned uh, about uh, mm-hmm. 20 minutes ago that uh, under fair housing law, you can't tell people that they can't live together. Uh, he's curious about how fair housing applies when it's unrelated adults. Is it an age thing? Well, that's just it. It's not necessarily that it's an age thing, but uh, the Fair Housing Act is all about discrimination. You can't discriminate against age, sex, religion, uh, anything. So 
age is one part of it, but the concept of how many people can you have in a house, uh, that's part of it too. Who's to say that I can't have 10 people, 15 people? Uh, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, and in Phoenix, Arizona, the state limits you to 10 people in a residential assisted living facility. I've talked to city councilmen, and I've, I, they've talked to the city attorneys that say, we have no defense. If anybody challenges us on this, we have no defense at all. There's no reason why we can limit you to how many people you can have in your house. Uh, they can't do it, yet those are the rules on the books. Now, even though the councilman told me that, and even though his attorney told him that, I'm not going to bring a lawsuit against the city to make that happen. But uh, those are the rules that are on the books. And because they understand that they cannot enforce it because of the Fair Housing Act, um, Again, to the person who wrote the question, I'm just going to encourage you to decide where you want to do this and do it there. And if you find that they are giving you a hard time, whether it be the neighborhood with an HOA or the city because, like somebody mentioned uh, San Antonio, I think it was, but in Dallas, Texas, the city of Dallas, they say six. You can only have six people in the home, even though in the state of Texas you can have 16 people in a small facility. Well, great. Don't do it in Dallas. Do it north of Dallas and the towns that are exploding up there in Frisco and, you know, Little Elm and do it there where you can have 16 in a single family home because that's what the state says. So don't go where things are hard. Go where things are easy. You're, we're early into this game where if you get involved now, uh, there's so much low hanging fruit and so much opportunity. You can do just terrific. Uh, just don't go where it's hard. I don't know if that's a simplistic yeah, no, way of saying I, I totally, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, wow, we've got like four more questions. We've got like three more minutes. I don't think we're going to be able to answer all of these, but I will well, just talk as fast as I... As well, f- let me do this too, because you've been pitching it, but I need to do it. Come out and see me. See me. I'm going to have an hour to share with you, and I'd love to share more. And you'll get the visuals, and please come out to see me. I would love to answer all of those questions. We'll take the time. I'm going to be there the whole time, but I get a couple of opportunities to present, and then I'll be there sharing as well. So come on out. I'll answer yeah, all the Yeah, yeah, and, and that's one of, the, one of the great things about the, the summit is that the, the speakers tend to just sort of hang around and watch the other speakers sure. and be there to answer questions which is which is crucial um angela uh from let's see atlanta says do you screen your residents in a way similar to tenant screening and are most people able to afford this with retirement savings or are you working with some kind of government benefits oh great question so number one yes you do screen them but it's not for you know, are they deadbeat tenants and so on. It's not a tenant relationship. What you're screening them for is what needs do they have and if their needs are appropriate for the house. If somebody needs way too much care, they're just way too much to handle within that home, that community, that environment, we're going to say no, it's just not appropriate. If you were to do that to a tenant, you can't come here because forget about it. That'd be bad. So, yeah, we do screen them, but it's, it's really here's what we offer. Are you a good fit? Then the concept of can you afford it, you know, here's our rate. If our rate is $4,000 for that private room and all they can afford is $1,500 for that private room, I'm sorry, this is not a good fit. Now, the government, Medicare, feds get money to the state. The state comes up with a program. You prove that you have no income and no assets, and we will pay for your assisted living. The state's only going to provide 1000 1500 maybe 2000 in some states for that. But if the average home is 3600 and the most the state's going to pay is two grand, you're living in a very subpar, bad part of town house, and 
that's I can't be profitable with a business like that. So I don't do it as a social work where I'm taking people in that can't afford. I focus on the private pay, not the government pay. Uh, that's what I do. That's what I'm going to encourage you to do as well. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Jean, Angela had a really good idea at the end of this email. She says it might be a good idea to own an Airbnb property nearby to direct families when they come to visit. You know, we have one of our homes has a has an extra room where people can come and stay for $100 a night. And another one literally has across the street somebody who has a home and she has a bedroom with Airbnb or $45 a night. You can stay in her bedroom. Yeah, I love I love my listeners. They're so they're, they're always thinking of new ways to do this. All right. We got to wrap it up, Gene, but we will see you here in Cincinnati on November the 3rd, 4th, 5th and 6th for the OREA National Real Estate Summit. And we will be back next week with more information about that. That and to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.